0: Hello, welcome again to Run Out Radio. Hi, I'm Jerry Forsyth with Mike Howerton as always. And this week we're joined by Ted Lerner. Ted is in Angeles City, the home of Efren Reyes in the Philippines. Ted, how are you? Well, I'm doing fantastic. i just getting over all uh, that long tournament, the World Pool
1: Championship. I know, I'm just wondering about you guys. Are you guys fully recovered from the long tournament and the long trip? <laughs>
0: Well, recovered from the tournament, but not the trip. That'll take a few <laughs> right. more days. Uh, real curious about your general overall impression of the championship this year. Well, uh,
1: from the you know Philippine perspective, I think that any time that you know you have a tournament of this magnitude, the biggest tournament in the world, the World Pool Championship, and it's on these shores, and it comes out like that with what, what a spectacular final it was, I'd say you'd have to say it was an unbelievable success. Uh, you know, it was a, a, world, a worldwide audience, especially live around Asia, live in the UK. This is a massive thing for this country to have something like that. This is not the biggest sporting nation on the earth. They've never won an Olympic gold medal. So to have uh, an event like this, this is one of the national sports here, all the best players in the world uh in such a beautiful venue it was an i mean unqualified success from that standpoint i would say from a from a promotional standpoint as far as the crowds that showed up uh i i w- was not uh too happy with uh what you know the the crowds that came or that didn't come to the Areneta center and i think that was a bit of a glitch in the promote the local promotion uh that's not going to look good on television but um Maybe that can be fixed if, if indeed it does come here next year. But uh, overall, I don't think anybody here is really complaining, uh, including uh, the local organizers, Raya and, and Yen Makabenta. I, I just think that they have to fix something in the uh, uh, getting more people to show up at the venue.
0: Well... I'm getting more fans in, I happened to read in the local newspaper while I was there that the majority of Philippine citizens live on less than a dollar a day. Um, the cheapest seat in the auditorium was right at a dollar a day, was right, right at a dollar for a session. Was that the problem? Uh, is, is the pool well, fan from the lower demographic that needs cheaper pricing?
1: yeah without a doubt uh that that was the the ticket prices were way overpriced uh, the problem here you you, you know i mean it, the people should get the impression you know people haven't been here they may think that there's you know everybody's poor there's a lot of money in this country there is plenty of people with money. The funny thing about promoting in this country is the ones who have the money. And I must say, they, the ones who have money usually have a lot of money. They don't want to pay because they generally feel they're entitled to get in for free because they know somebody, they're privileged, or for whatever reason. And the ones who can, uh, who don't have money, well, obviously <laughs> can't afford to pay even a dollar because that could, that's, that buys a few kilos of rice. That dollar. So uh, you know, it's it's a funny place to promote. I think. The key is it's a nine-day tournament. The mistake here was you've got to open it up for free to the public on the first four days, get them in. They have to do a better job also around the venue of getting out there and, you know, the 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 real nuts and bolts. Get on the ground, get in the pool halls, put the posters up, hand out the flyers to everybody around the venue. That's what I I don't think they did, and it was a little overwhelming, that Araneta. That was a big step up, going to the Araneta Coliseum, and that holds 20,000 people. It's a little difficult to just put on a uh, press conference and put out a press release and get people to show up. You really have to entice them. The traffic situation, as you guys saw, is just unbelievable in Manila. So if a person has to come across the metropolis and travel one hour. Even if he's got the money, he might be in the middle class. They might say, you know what, the prices are a little high. Uh, that It's going to take me an hour and a half to get there, an hour to get back at night, and it's just too much. I'll just stay home and watch it on TV. So I, if you're going to do something like that, and I think you guys will agree that the actual setup was spectacular in, in its yeah. scope. Uh and yep. it's and the way they, they set it up and the color scheme and everything. It just had the potential. But if you're gonna do something like that, you've gotta have an army of people out there marketing this thing. And frankly, I think it was uh that wasn't done.
2: It's it sounds kind of strange that we would be talking about the fact that live television coverage actually hurt the event. Um did you get any indication or have you heard anything about what kind of numbers uh, were watching the the final day live?
1: No, I, I don't know yet, but I know that in the Philippines, there's actually been surveys done, official surveys, uh, that when the a big event is on, a big pool event, uh, like the finals of some kind of national tournament or a big event, you're going to get... Uh, numbers in the several million watching. At times, it can go up into tens of millions. And for the Whirlpool Championship last year, they had uh, something like 30 to 40 million people watching. That's about half the population of this country. <laughs> so that's just locally. Uh, also, regionally in Asia, ESPN... Uh, last year was able to garner 89 million viewers over the nine-day period. That is official Nielsen-based ratings. I don't know. That takes a little time for that to come in, so we don't know what the actual numbers are. But we have to assume that that's going to rise because of the way uh, the nature of pool in China now seems to be growing in popularity, so more and more people are tuning in in China and India also.
2: Well, can we talk for a minute about the, the fans that did show up? Um, I was a little surprised at the way they responded to misses by by Daryl Peach. Um, I had been told that the fans were very knowledgeable there, and they they treated players that were not Filipino players with a great deal of respect. And, boy, early on in that tournament, I sure didn't see it.
1: Well, it's... Yeah, at first when you when you see that, Mikey, and, and even me, I I was uh, a little taken aback. In the final, when as soon as they saw a ball going down the table, and it was obvious, like let's say Peach was shooting, and it was obvious it was going to miss, they were already cheering, and you realize there's a worldwide audience looking at this, and it doesn't really translate that well over the air, and maybe they could give them. A, a few seconds to sit down, and then when their guy, Gomez, gets up, then you could understand a cheer. But the other thing is, that being said, the Philippine audience is, is very respectful of the foreigners. As a matter of fact, they almost revere foreigners when they come here. They're just they're, they're, It's just their nature to be so desperate for a hero, and they don't get heroes around here too often. Like I said, they've never won an Olympic gold medal, ever. This is not the largest sporting nation on earth. So when they do get a winner, when they do have a potential winner, they go crazy for this guy. And I'll tell you what, Daryl Peach, when you saw him late in the match, in the final, raise his arm. Remember he made a great shot. I can't recall at the exact moment what it was. think He may have banked the, the one ball off in a pressure situation near the end of the match and made it. He walked back to his chair. Uh, or maybe it was a safety. He walked back to his chair and raised his arm sort of like in, uh, in a fun gesture, like, where's the applause for me? Right. Right. And the crowd went nuts. They loved him for that. And that's the kind of attitude that a player has to take over here. You can't take them seriously because they really do love foreigners coming here and they and they do respect you it's just that they are so rabid for their uh home you know their countrymen and so desperate and they're a fun loving people they're 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 different than westerners they're fun loving and that's that's what people love about the philippines that people here aren't that serious and they're not that uh into formalities here and so it's what people love about the Philippines, so you got to take take that with a grain of salt. And I think that it might help to it does translate it doesn't translate that well on television sometimes unless we the commentators and the writers sort of explain that to people.
0: Has the press there spoken any about Francisco Bustamante and how close he keeps coming to winning this championship, but he just can't ever seem to get his foot through that final door. Well,
1: uh, I think uh, the general consensus is is that uh, and I noticed it early in the week, was he was so emotional. More emotional than we have ever seen him. He even made a comment to the uh, local press here saying something like uh, I want to win this tournament so badly that I don't care if I ever win another tournament again. Right. And he and I, I just noticed him in the early matches, I know I know you guys must have noticed this too. That I mean did you ever see Francisco shout after win after pocketing the final nine ball? I, I've no, never seen not, that. He's usually yeah,
0: not until then. Yeah, not until then.
1: Yeah, and he and I said, This guy wants this too bad. And you can't be like that in pool. you've got to be level-headed, just like Daryl Peach. You got to right to the finish line. You, and I knew something was going to he was going to be snake-bitten. And, and I think the fans seem to have uh, recognized that, that perhaps he wants it a little too much. There's a lot of pressure on him to win. You know, he sees all these young guns coming up, and he Efren's won one, Alex has won one, Alcano has won one. He wants one too. You know, but I think for him to win one, he's going to have to uh, cool it a little bit.
0: Also, couldn't help but notice that Gomez played better than just about anyone I've ever seen play all week long. He was making one shot after another, and he was the most aggressive offensive player I think I've ever seen until he got to the finals. And then it appeared that he was playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And it cost him dearly, particularly when they got very, very close to the end of the of the match, and he just couldn't make a ball anymore. Um, What were your observations on Gomez?
1: Well, I I agree. I mean, uh, when he leading up to the final, that was spectacular pool. It was fun to watch. He was he just looked like he was in some kind of zone. Uh, You know, the dead stroke mode that everybody talks about in pool and and that he he was so almost cocky walking around the table, but cocky in a good way, you know. And then I think what happened was um, I heard him on ESPN uh, do an interview, and he did that interview, uh, you know, the night after he won, he got in, you know, that night that he got in the uh, finals when he closed out the semifinal and then against boys. And then he was sort of saying, like, I'm destined to win. And I don't think you want to say that. I think somewhere when he had that good night's sleep after, after giving that interview, something must have creeped into his mind uh, subconsciously while he was dreaming or something. And he woke up the next day, and he wasn't the same guy, because he all of a sudden maybe realized that he had the weight of a nation you know, upon his shoulders, and, and he was very much responsible for putting that weight on his shoulders by saying that Filipinos were expecting him to win because he said he was going to win. I yeah. think what he should have done, and they love this other uh, thing over here. They love a humble guy. They 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 will adore you till the end of time over here if you're a hum, if you're humble. And he should have come out and just said, "I'm going to just do my best. I don't. I can't promise you anything, and I'm going to just do my best and see what see what happens. And let the cards fall where they may, you know. And then I think he would have done a better job uh, if he would have said that.
2: So basically, take the Efren Reyes route, where you know Efren, will, Efren always says, "Well, he got lucky and and he didn't deserve to win, but right."
1: right and, and there's something
2: funny over here they
1: they they you know they believe in miracles and all this uh, crazy stuff and crazy stuff happens in this country i think he was on the on the cusp of grabbing that crazy magic he had something going and he probably blew it by giving that interview where he said i am going to win this thing you don't generally say that here because now he's enticing the the local populace and they're saying Hey, we're gonna. This is a guarantee. There's no way he's gonna lose. Well, you know, we all know what happens when you say that in sports. Yeah. yeah.
2: Did you yeah. did you think in any way that the fans put more pressure on him the way that they were responding during that final? Well,
1: that's typical, and and sure. There's also the fact. I mean, even if he would have been humble going in, I mean, there is a lot of pressure here. On, on a player like that, and he's not... I don't think he's done anything in any tournaments to speak of uh, locally, so that was a totally new experience for him. Uh, I liked Alcano last year. Alcano was even keel the whole way, and uh, he was able to handle the pressure, the obvious pressure that the fans are going to put on him. Yeah, that would... I mean, see, he, he knew that he said the wrong thing. He knew it. And he realized the gravity of his mistake. And you could see it on his face during the tournament, that, uh, during that final match. And he was so emotional. He, he was collapsing. You knew he couldn't even make that nine ball near the end. Everybody was saying, they goes, no way he's going to make that. Uh, because, you know, he should have been just even keel. He should have been even keel the night before and during the interview. He should have been even keel going into the match. And he should have just not shown so emotion uh, so much emotion. He could have been feeling emotional, but he shouldn't have shown so much emotion. Yeah, it affected him. But it affected him starting the night before. That's that's what I believe.
2: Can we shift away from uh from Gomez and Peach for a second? The more we talk about um Filipino players being modest and <clears throat> basically taking that Efren Reyes approach to things. Let's talk about Jeff DeLuna for a second. Um, I was really surprised at some of the comments that he made during the the nine days of the event. I mean, he basically came out and said that he knew he was the best player in the field. He was going to annihilate every opponent he played. Uh, What was that all about?
1: Yeah, that, that was another one. I was surprised he was saying that. I admit to being suckered into a little bit of that because uh, I was hoping he would ride that uh, hard break all all the way to the finish line. Because you know I, I don't like the soft break, like most people. So, uh, and I asked him. He said, "Hey, are you going to play the uh, hard break even on table one, even if it's breaking soft?" And he says, "I'm playing the hard break. I'm taking it all the way to the to the end." And I, I, I mean, we all like to hear that kind of bravado, but. You know, when I watched him play Stepanoff in the match that he, he lost and he lost badly, he was so reckless. And he, he There were times that he could have easily played safe, and instead he's going for full table kick shots on the four ball, and he ended up getting blown out of the building. And there's another case of a guy who is speaking uh, well beyond what he is capable of, he, you know, and it came back to haunt him.
0: Nevertheless, Filipino players did a great job of representing themselves and their country at this event. And I heard while I was there that the players who are members of at least one of the stables of players down there are required to run or to, to, to pocket a certain number of racks every day. And that those racks are actually counted.
1: Yes, that is absolutely that is true. Perry Mariano uh, is, you know, he's the probably I think he's the largest uh, has the largest stable of players. There's another guy down in uh, uh, Negros in the middle part of the country. They call the Visayan region. Um, his name is Jonathan C. Has guys like Lee Van Cortese. they also do this uh Perry uh, for example has uh, a pretty strict regime he requires his guys to show up uh at, uh, at a, wherever they practice at maybe at the Star Paper where they had the qualifiers and yeah they run 70 racks what they do is it's a rack of nine ball they bust up the rack and then they take ball in hand and they play you know you can put it anywhere on the table whether they make a ball or not and then they run out, see if they can run out. So they keep score of how many, if you made a ball on the break, and if they can run it out with ball in hand. The idea behind that, they said, is that they, uh, and they do this 70 times, and they rack their own balls, so it's tiring. And the idea behind that is to get in that flow of running out racks, and it's sort of a psychological thing and a muscle memory thing. So they're they're required to do that. They're required to do jumping, braking, whatever, you know, safety, play, all the other stuff as well. But, yeah, they're doing 70 of those racks a day.
2: You would think that the whole stable system is basically just a way for uh, a stable owner to to put players into the tournament and then take a share of their winnings. But that doesn't sound like the case. I mean, it sounds like the the people who run the stables over there really seriously work with the players to try to to raise their level of play.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Perry Mariano does not need the money. Jonathan C. does not need the money. These guys are not doing it to make money. They could, they could just as well uh, not be involved in billiards. There, there is no system over here like in Taiwan. Uh, there's talk of they're trying to put together a system over here uh, of like a training academy. But things tend to move in their own speed over here, and generally that means not very fast. So yeah, Perry is um, he knows that these guys. The only way to succeed is to you know uh, to reach that level of like what Taiwan seems to be able to produce a me- like a factory is to uh, get them in some kind of re- regular regime. And uh, th- these guys, there's so much talent over here, and they need help. These guys are broke. They're poor. They've got mouths to feed, and uh, they need opportunities. They need, they just for years, these guys have not had any chances. And now, with the whirlpool and guys like Perry and Jonathan and uh, a few other guys, you know these guys are getting a chance, and they're getting a chance on uh, proper tables, and they're getting a chance away from money games. Although, that being said, you know you can't—you're never going to get rid of the money game culture over here. That's that goes—that's par for the course. They're still playing their money games every night, but they got to practice first, and they're doing it to give these guys a chance. Perry, I know they really feel for these guys. They—they they love the sport of pool, but the only way they're going to progress is to organize it in some sort of fashion. I think this is what you're going to see more and more of. It's this training regime that they're instituting.
0: Well, it seems like the pool scene in the Philippines is changing. And this is from an outsider. I mean, five years ago, the only name you ever heard was Puyat. And now he seems to have taken a back seat to men like Mariano and Macabenta and say, um, is this a... a- a fallacious uh, impression on my part, or or is that what's happening?
1: No, it's absolutely true. Uh, One of the number one things is uh, the Internet has, uh, you know, opened up the world and it's allowed uh, people to find out, you know, who the better players are. And then at the same time, um, you've had new groups coming in who uh, wanted to do something. And, you know, Mr. Puyat has, uh, you know, been a big benefactor of pool for many years, but basically he just supports Efren and, and Bustamante. Mm-hmm. So he really hasn't supported other players over the years. And there's been a whole generation of players that hardly anyone has ever heard of, and these were spectacular pool players that right. just gone by and, and they never had a chance. Uh, you know, Puyat was not running a whole stable. He was putting on to- some tournaments a year, and he did some nice tournaments. Uh, but, you know, it was just Efren, Django, you had Andam and Luat there for a while, and maybe a few other guys. But, you know, he's not opening up uh, big stables. Now, guys like um, Macabenta, Mr. Macabenta, you know, the- him and his buddies, the- they're huge pool fans, and, and they want to do something for the sport. And, you know, they were ready to take a gamble on this whirlpool to sort of kickstart the industry over here and get it to where it really is. Now, and, and same with guys like Perry and guys like this Jonathan C uh, down in Negros. You know, they know the talent is out there, just needs to be nurtured. So the whirlpool has kickstarted an entire industry over here that didn't exist even two years ago. Now, just about every week, there's somebody putting on some kind of tournament, uh, whether big and small. Every week now, there's like a $1,000 to the winner kind of tournament. There's a Scotch doubles tournament coming up uh, next week. Uh, They just had this um, the World versus Team Philippines in a Moscone kind of thing. Uh, Did you hear about that one? Yeah. Yeah they just had that go off and then that imagine this this tournament took place down in a remote provincial capital that i don't think sees any foreigners maybe a couple trickle through a week or a month uh it's 2 hours from a well drive on a very bumpy uh not well paved road <laughs> From a well known resort area called Porta Galera. So this is in the middle of nowhere. Now why do you, you wonder to ask yourself, why are they having a billiards tournament down there, the Philippines versus the rest of the world? Well it just so happens that the vice president of the Philippines comes from this town, this province, and they're celebrating their like three hundred something Founders Day and they wanna put on a billiard tournament. And that's what they do over here. They put on a beauty contest, a cockfight, and a billiard tournament. <laughs> that's how big pool is over here. So pool is becoming like the in thing. It's, not, it's, it's gone out of the, uh, you know, the back alleys. It's the in thing now. When you have the whirlpool here, and this is what the whirlpool is doing. So these guys are on the right track. Every week we have a tournament, big or small, here.
2: Ted, can we um, can we look at the the bigger picture of of the level of play in the Philippines? And I don't even know if if you know the answer to this, but why do you think pool is so big there? I mean, why why is the level of play so strong? Why is it so important? Um it just seems like there 's this never ending supply of of great players coming out of the Philippines Why is the game as, as big as it is out there?
1: <laughs> yeah assanil 's saying about that i saw I saw him the other day uh, before he went down to the province. He said he lost a uh, he lost some money games down at the one side the other night to guys he didn 't even know
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know yeah. they just come out of the woodwork you yeah, why um What's that?
0: Alex Laley was saying the same thing.
1: Yeah, they got guys uh, you never heard of, and they're everywhere. Why is it so so strong? The, the, pool, the, the sport of pool is ingrained in this culture, and it goes back, uh, some even say, to the Spanish era, which you know the Spaniards uh, colonized this country for over 300 years. It was taken over by America in the late, what, 1898 or so, actually sold to the Americans. So the game of pool was even known back then. And it seems to fit the temperament of Filipinos. Uh, they're not the biggest people in the world. Uh, they're not the strongest physically. They're, uh, it's a laid-back culture. And pool seems to fit that sort of laid-back temperament. They also love to gamble. And pool's a great sport for gambling. Uh, And there's just something about them balls on the table floating around and and, uh, the angles and everything that that hits home with these people. They love it, as you know. And um, so all that combined, and then you have the American influence over here with the military being here uh, for 80-some years before they were booted out in the early 90s with the bases. And that played a big part in uh, helping introduce the game over here. So... Then the gambling culture, you know, the, you have many poor kids. These guys have a lot of time on their hands to play pool. Think about this now. This is in, when you're in the provincial areas. Look at a guy like Dennis Orculio. When he was growing up, he was a commercial fisherman. Now, commercial fisherman, this is not the deadliest catch here, like the TV show. Bro, this is not guys making $20,000. This is guys going out in their little wooden canoe. They call them bancas over here. You know, and pulling in a few fish with their bare hands on a on a on a line, and bringing it back in and making just enough uh, uh, just to feed the family and buy a little rice. Mm -hmm. And okay, so when they're not, when there's not a fishing season, when there's not a plant, when you planted the rice in the province and you're watching it grow, there's nothing to do. Yeah. And what they do is they play pool. So that's where they come from. It's hardcore. I mean, it's hardcore. It it goes right to the very soul of this 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 nation. They it's every it, that's the whole package right there. It's uh, they're poor, and they love to gamble, and
0: pool fits their temperament perfectly. Ted, we've really <laughs> enjoyed talking to you today. Have you got uh, any news the rest of the world might want to know about before we part ways?
1: Well, funny you asked that, Jerry, because uh, I've heard. Um, that uh, the people involved, uh, specifically uh, Gomez's manager, Perry Mariano, has been floating around this idea of uh, sometime in the early part of next year, he'd like to bring over Daryl Peach to play Roberto Gomez in a rematch.
0: Ah, a money match or a TV match or
1: what? Well, a TV, a full-on TV match at the... They're already talking about, believe it or not, at the Araneta. But this time, I guess they're going to give away the tickets for free, get all the movie stars in there, and twenty thousand to the winner, ten thousand dollars to the loser. A two-day affair, and obviously going to be broadcast on national television.
0: Well, that would be worth showing up for.
1: Yeah, yeah, not finalized yet, but I can tell. You, I don't think it'll take much more to get Daryl Peach over to the Philippines. This is the one country, you know where he can really maximize his earning potential, maybe in potential yeah. sponsors and, uh, yep. and and playing games.
0: Yep, something he should consider. And we hope all of you will consider what we've been talking about today. Uh, that's it for this version of Run Out Radio. We'll be back with you again next week. I'm Jerry Forsyth with Mike Howerton. We're thanking our guest from the Philippines today, Ted Lerner. And Thank you, guys. That's all, that's all for now. Bye-bye.